listening to the Data Transforming Business Podcast. With this series, you can find out how data impacts your business by hearing from today's leading analysts, end users, and vendors, so that you can learn how to truly become data-driven and transform your business. Hello and welcome to the Data Transforming Business Podcast and EM360 production. My name is Max Curtin, Head of Content here at EM360 and your host on today's episode. Make sure you stay up to date with all of our latest episodes by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or any and all major platforms. Now, before I bring on today's guest, I want to let you know about one of our partner events that is coming up, and that's the Business of Data Festival. This is a next-generation global digital broadcast celebrating data and analytics leaders from the 20th to the 22nd of July, 2021, broadcasting globally. The Festival of Data is not a webinar, it's not a Zoom or a Teams call, not a virtual conference. There will be no presentations. This exclusive and ambitious digital broadcast has been designed to provide easily digestible content in a variety of bite-sized formats recorded in studios across the world. So make sure you claim your free place today at BODDigitalBroadcast.com. That's BODDigitalBroadcast.com. Now, back to the episode. Joining me today, I've got Anthony Tattersall, who's the VP of EMEA at Coursera, and Anthony is here to discuss Coursera's all-new Global Skills Index and give us an exclusive insight into this year's key findings. So, Anthony, welcome to the show, and thanks for coming on today. Thank you. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. It's great to have you on, and I'm uh, looking forward to uh, diving into this uh, Global Skills Index. But before we get to that, could you just give us a bit of background on yourself and Coursera? Yeah, of course. Uh, I'll start off with Coursera. Uh, Coursera is uh, an organization that is very much focused on uh, skills transformation. And we work across government institutions, helping governments uh, build out workforce development programs for citizens. We work with educational institutions, helping ensure that we can improve employability outcomes for students. We work with individual businesses, looking at reskilling and upskilling their staff. And we work with individual consumers who are also looking to invest in their own career and skills growth journey. From my perspective, I run the uh, Coursera business for Europe, Middle East and Africa, or EMEA. And I also typically act as the executive sponsor for many of our strategic relationships. So I'm very uh, involved in many of our larger customers in terms of their programs and really what they're trying to drive from their investments in learning and skills transformation. Fantastic stuff. A great skill to have and uh, looking to discuss this further in the podcast. And I think we should just delve straight into questions here. And I always like to start these by giving our listeners a bit of a background about what's going on. So every year, Coursera publishes a new Global Skills Index or GSI as it's normally abbreviated to. But for those who are unfamiliar with it or haven't had a chance to look at it, could you give us an overview of the GSI and really how 2021's investigation differs from the previous years that have been done? Yeah, of course. So we we produce the overall Global Skills Report, looks at our Global Skills Index, and it's, it's in a multi-part series. The first part of that, the Global Skills Report, really looks at the trends that are shaping reskilling uh, for countries around the world. So we look at about 108 different countries, and we look at data from around 77 million learners on our platform across thousands of campuses, businesses, and about 100 different government organizations. And it's really designed to help various different stakeholder groups to really understand what are the latest skill trends, uh, what's important, what matters. And from a company perspective, 
what are the country level dynamics, but also what are the industry level comparisons. So they can sort of see also where they are and where the opportunities are for competitive advantage. This year, we also, uh, and this is the third iteration of this, we, we uh, looked also at what are the entry level career paths, um, particularly for you know, workers who are perhaps having to change career paths, recent graduates, um, people might be currently unemployed, who are looking to either move into a new career path or advance their current career and bringing some real data insight around those areas as well. Excellent stuff. Yeah, it's fantastic to kind of see how much is kind of profiled and how much information is taken. It, it's not just a, it's a, not a small sampling, let's just say that. You guys cover a lot of areas. Yeah, it's a pretty big data set. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so the reason everyone's here, let, let's kick off with uh, with the start of this. You know, what has the data from, from this year's report told us about the, the current state of skills in the UK compared to its uh, global counterparts? So uh, the UK definitely has some work to do. Um, but just before I give you the actual numbers, just to help you understand sort of the context behind the statistics, the, the numbers are relative. So it's not like an absolute, are you good or you're bad? It's how are you performing against other countries? And so when we look at the 108 countries that we're ranking, if you're the top, then you get 100%. And if you're the bottom, you get 0%. So your percentage is a relative percentage against other countries that we're comparing against. And so when we look at the, the skills area, we really broad, broadly define this into three high-level categories, business skills, technology skills, and then data science skills. And then below that, there's a lot, lot more detail. But at the very high level, if you look at business skills globally, the UK is around number uh, number 77 out of 108, right? So it's not particularly high. Um, it's number 35 in Europe, which again, would hope to be significantly higher than that. In technology, we do a little bit better. We're 47 globally and we're 29 in Europe. And on data science, we're 34th globally and 24th in Europe. Now, in technology and data, we're in the sort of competitive. So we're in the sort of upper half. But on the global stage, I would I would certainly be the UK citizen, um, aspire for better. And I think there's a lot we can still do to improve our standing. Yes. Yeah. It's always um, not great to kind of see when, when you're kind of middle of the pack or kind of lower, but it just goes to show that there's room for improvement and there's ways to kind of, uh, for companies and people to, to get to that point. So I think that's, mm-hmm. that's important to take away from that. Was there anything in there, like particularly that you kind of caught your eye and you were kind of surprised about to see or was it just kind of the ranking statistics of that there's there's a lot of uh nuance in this data and so the headline it might sound a little bit surprising of course within that you'll find that there are things that we are perhaps surprisingly better there's things that we do very well at uh, and of course there's going to be variations across different institutions different groups of um, users and stakeholders and so on so it's it, it's very difficult sometimes to just see the blanket view and assume that's applicable everywhere it's not but if we look into the some of the the real data we definitely have some very, very uh, uh, strong areas that we have some competitive advantage around, but we also have some areas where we're really lagging behind against other countries. And if you look at, for example, HR, you know, we're at, like we're only at thirteen percent compared to other countries, and communications are at twenty-one percent. So really, in the lower, lower end of, of the rankings, which feels a little bit surprising um, in, in those particular areas. We're lagging behind in leadership and management skills. Uh, we're only at 33% there. And some of the strategy and operational skills are only about 21%. So 
there's some there's some definitely some big challenges um, around there that we we have a lot of work on to to improve. If we look at where we're most proficient, this is perhaps not going to be surprising. It's around the area of finance and. You know, the UK obviously has been for a long time a financial heartland of, of Europe and indeed of the world. So we, we'd, we'd hopefully expect to be doing pretty well uh, in that particular area of domain. We do have some very good um, uh, skills proficiency in the world of data science. We're still in 24th in Europe, but it is still pretty competent. And this is a really clear area of differentiation for most companies are looking to invest in these skill sets. Um, and if you look at some of the technology skills, we have some very strong areas of capability in things like maths, probability, statistics, and machine learning. But we're really struggling around things like mobile development and databases and computer programming and data analysis and so on. So there's lots of areas for us to focus on, which becomes more and more relevant as competition becomes more globalized. There's some interesting data around STEM and female STEM progression as well, which is uh, much more interesting, but I can come to that in, the sec- in a second uh, in case you have any other questions on the, some of the headline skills data. Yeah, no, it's, it's as you say, it, it's a big data set, so we could probably be here all day if we picked apart <laughs> every single piece that uh, that was going on there. But I think that's interesting to see, you know, where where there is benefit. As you say, finances is a great area to kind of see that growth, because that's always been kind of what the UK kind of, as you say, exports and does well. Um, so I'm just kind of curious if we continue that conversation a bit more, what kind of business or technology or data skills really are trending the most in the UK and, and why are those so integral to employees, employers, and, and really the world we're, we're living in today? Well, I think it's interesting because there's a slight difference between skills and jobs and perhaps what people see as the relevant skills for those jobs. Uh, there was a recent study done by Microsoft, which was looking at digital job capacity growth uh, between now and 2025, which predicted around 149 million new jobs, principally in the areas of digital skills. And so we're talking like data analysts and machine learning specialists and big data and digital marketing and transformation and so on. And these are all technical roles and clearly have a technical skills requirement. And so that's a, a very, very strong trend. We see a lot of people looking to move into those worlds because people see some job security there. They see growing demand. Many, many companies are struggling to hire resources with those skill sets because there just isn't enough supply in the open marketplace. But to be a form effectively in those roles, you also need to have some pretty good human skills. And you need to be able to have uh, good communication skills, which the UK is severely lacking in, especially when you try to translate technical insight into business insight. You want to be able to work with diverse teams. We're moving into a much more remote working or hybrid type working environment, and that's a whole new difference of the skills in itself. As a as a country, we're much more focused now on diversity and equality and inclusion and gender. Uh, and that means we have to work with lots of different communities of stakeholders, all who have different approaches and ways of working and being effective in how we work with those diverse teams. And these are all human skills that people don't necessarily think about as much when you're thinking about building capability for a more technical role. But it is that holistic view of skills that need to be developed. 
And what I think is um, uh, interesting is that many of the companies that we're working with, and certainly the way we try and work uh, as Coursera, with when we work with with organisations looking to drive skills transformation, it's really focusing on what is the the set of skills that are needed for a specific role. And when you look at those skill sets, it is a combination of technical skills and human skills and communication skills and data skills and so on. For almost every role, there's some level of those that come together. And by really defining roles in that context, it makes it much easier for people to understand what their transferable skills are and what they already have in place. So you might want to become a programmer, for example, and think, well, I can't program. I can't do that. But actually, you may have 60, 70% of the skills needed of all the other elements that make someone successful in a role like that. And this is helping, I think, as people really dig into what materially matters in skills to actually facilitate a culture of more internal mobility, more career change. And we're going to see that as the world moves on, as skills out, become outdated more and more quickly as technology evolves faster and faster. People are going to have to update their skills and change their profiles on a much more frequent basis than, than they ever had to do in the past. Yeah, I, I think that that's a, a great way of looking at it in, in the sense of seeing that evolution kind of come across and then people understanding how they can evolve in, into new job roles. We, we see it all the time in our space, you know, especially from, from the data sector, the cybersecurity sector, the amount of people I say, oh, I just stumbled into cybersecurity, for example, by by learning those kind of skills. Um, and yeah, it's it, it's interesting how how you say that there's going to be each skills for each person. So I'm not going to sit here and ask you like, well, how do we solve this problem? Because there's so many points that need to be kind of addressed. Uh, it's just not possible and to get to that point. So, so I wanted to also mention, you've already brought it up, which I think is great when we're kind of talking about how um, we're seeing a lot more women getting into STEM subjects, which which is an area that we, we cover quite a bit. And in the report, it was saying that there's been a 24% rise and this is from 34% pre-2020, and now it's 42% in 2020. Um, in this percentage of STEM course enrollments among female learners, what do you think has kind of triggered this increase, or if there is anything, and is it a sign that we're finally making some headway towards closing the STEM gender gap, even though it's still very, very large, or are we at least making some headway towards it? I, I think we're definitely making headway towards it, and I think there's been a lot of reasons why We've been seeing that growth. There's obviously been a, a lot of uh, media noise, reports, data, insight that suggests that technology is a good place to go into for job growth and security and pay and their in-demand skills. And I think people are broadly recognizing that or seeing that and see it's a good option to go into. There's been a lot of folks in attracting more women into those kind of professions and into STEM type um, educational programs. And it's a great way actually to address skills gaps. When we know there are skills sorted in those roles, you can't simply just achieve that by solving one gender. You have to leverage this you know, half of our population that can bring all this fantastic skills if we just give people the opportunity. So those those things have been naturally encouraging people to do it. We've also seen as a result of the pandemic that a lot of people were on furlough or made uh, unemployed, especially in some of these industries that were really hard hit. And of course, that's given people a chance to engage in thinking about what their career could be when they come out and to invest in their own learning. And people have naturally gravitated towards STEM. So if you look at people have been unemployed, the growth in uh, STEM enrollments for unemployed people has grown about 66%. So there's been a, you know, a pandemic impact, if you like, an impetus on that side of things. The other thing I would say is that we are seeing now 
I think I think women moving into STEM are seeing many more role models now in STEM. You know, if it wasn't that long ago, it'd be really hard push to find anybody. It would always be the exception. Whereas now it's becoming much more common. And so people are seeing visible proof that this is a real career path. And there are many, many people um, doing these kind of roles. And that naturally then leads to more encouragement, more normalization of people going into it. And if we can get to, we're already, as, as you saw, 42% um, of enrollments are from females. So it's getting closer to parity of 50-50. In Europe, I mean, Greece is about the best at 47%, but we're not that far away. Once you get to parity, over time, of course, you then get to job parity. There's a big lag between people studying for it and obviously equitable employment in terms of the balance between the genders because it takes time to filter through but the direction of travel i think is really positive it's great to see yeah definitely it, it's as you were saying opportunity it, it's taking that opportunity and then seeing where it where it's coming from and we all know with, with, with the fields that especially that, that we cover here at in 360 the the gaps and, and the the need for skilled workers is, is so important um, in a lot of organizations. So with getting skilled up and having those opportunities, then the, the door should open. So yes, as you say, we should see that kind of trickle-on effect go through. And uh, yeah, it's really, really fantastic to kind of see from that perspective. I'm also curious because, as you mentioned, obviously, during the Q1 um, between 2020 and 2021, what have been the most popular courses among learners in the UK? And really, how do these compare with the rest of the world? What was grabbing everyone's attention to, to kind of sign up to? So we have courses that are very popular kind of on the global stage. And there's some of the, the really strong courses on Coursera, which we should also see that the UK is kind of no different to, to most of our major countries. And these are courses like the Science of Wellbeing from Yale University. It's a course um, I've done myself. I think it's a fantastic course. And it's great to actually see that how much focus people are putting on well-being now, both in companies and outside. Interesting as an aside, what we see is that people who are in employment have had a massive surge in focusing on well-being related courses, while people who are out of employment are much more focused on the practical, technical skills. But if you've got that role, people are trying to deal with mass changes like working remotely, social distancing, all of these things that have had a real impact on people's well-being and health. There's a big, big focus on learning how to deal with it at a management level and also how to deal with it at a personal level. Unsurprisingly, we've seen focus on machine learning. Machine learning from Stanford is one of our top courses. Our founder, of course, is a world-recognized expert in the domain of machine learning and has originated that course. So I guess it's not a surprise. It's very popular in Coursera. Is another course I've done myself. It's a fantastic course. Learning How to Learn is a course that is globally, has always been popular ever since it was released from McMaster University. And it's kind of a core capability set. In order to be effective in learning anything, you need to know how to actually learn effectively. So it kind of almost underlies any discipline, uh, which is which is an obvious one. Financial markets is perhaps more of a UK thing that we see um, as being a big popular course. And then there's content around things such as psychology, programming. Uh, we had a very popular COVID contact tracing course from John Hopkins, which was unsurprisingly very popular during the pandemic. And we tend to see also lots of stuff around Python. Um, you know, big programming uh, area focus. Um, these tend to be then the kind of core um, areas that kind of go across almost the entire population. And then, of course, you'll see different skill focuses for people in different career disciplines that are more relevant to their roles. 
Yeah, it's interesting to see, obviously, how the trends, well, how what's going on in real life affects affects the learning outcome. It, it's great to kind of hear that there is that um, mindfulness approach as well for people's studies. And uh, I'm actually going to check out that machine learning course after after this conversation. <laughs> so check that one out. Um, before we wrap up here, one, one kind of final question uh, to you here, Anthony. Um, how do you see the global skills statistics changing over the next decade, or maybe I should rephrase that, and how do you hope to see it change over the next decade? So I think there's a couple of things. So first of all, I would say that, you know, skill, there are skills obviously relevant to just performing a role. There are also skills that I would say are broadly life skills that are contributive in a positive way to society, to opportunity, to to diversity, to equality, et cetera. And in that sense, I think education is one of the strongest forces for good in the world. And the more we can encourage people to educate themselves and invest in their development, I can only see positives coming from that. And so I hope we see a continuation and an ever stronger investment in, in the opportunity for people to equitably access learning opportunity and skills development opportunity, but also a willingness and desire that's fostered by all stakeholders to do so. I think that we need to see more collaboration across government, education, individuals, and businesses to help drive that skills agenda. And I do think it's going to naturally accelerate because of the pace of change, particularly on technology skills, where technology is still continuing to accelerate. And the average lifetime of a technology skill is perhaps two to four years, and then it's kind of out of date, and you have to redo it. Even business skills are changing much faster than they ever did so. So I think we're far beyond that world where people went to university or left school and then went to a career and then you were done for the next 60 years or so. People are going to have to reinvent their careers and certainly reinvent their skill sets, even if they want to stay in the same career, far more frequently than they ever had to do before. And I think it will just become a normal part of working life and hopefully a very positive one because learning is motivational. Learning is investing yourself and it can do incredible things for people's well-being and positivity and so on. I hope we will see a lot more companies really actually orientating their brand around being a place where individuals can come and be developed and have career progression and growth and opportunities to meet their own interests in a way that works with those company goals. And it We're seeing some companies have done that already in a very successful way, which is fantastic to see. Um, I think we'll see a lot more of it in the future because I think it will be critical to competitive success for you to offer it because people will simply expect it. Yeah, I I 100% agree. And I really like that answer in in the sense of it's having the access to learning as well, because as you said, it's longer the days of, oh, I've I've left school, I've left university, and then off I go. And the knowledge I've had for 20 years is the knowledge that we we use. But it's so refreshing to kind of, as you say, have such easy access to specific courses and everything that you can kind of need to do. So yeah, I'm fully with you. I hope to kind of see that in the future as well. It should be good. But uh, Anthony, all I can say is thanks for coming on today, sharing your insights and uh, walking us through this report. It's been been great chatting with you. It'd be my pleasure. Thank you so much. And thank you, everyone, who took the time to listen to this episode. We hope you did take a lot away from it. But if you are looking for more information or you want to actually read the skills report for yourself and take uh, take away a lot of great information, then please head on over to Coursera.org forward slash global hyphen skills hyphen report. Once again, that's Coursera.org forward slash global hyphen skills hyphen report. And we'll include the link down below. 
We'll be back soon with another episode in this podcast series. Until then, please join the conversation at em360tech on Twitter and LinkedIn. And for more great daily content, head on over to em360tech.com. Thank you.